Got all that geography right. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a wandering Gentile with Jews for Jesus. In 1974, I married uh, Moish Rosen's daughter, the boss's daughter, and the rest is history. Uh, you know, um, when, when I lived in Dallas and when I lived in Skokie, Illinois, every one of the newscasters and the news anchors, when they turned to the time for the weather segment, would say to the weatherman or the weather woman, do you have good news for us? As if, if it rained, that would ruin the weekend, you know, and uh, the plans for the picnic and the plans for the game. Well, we live in California, don't we? And we know that rain can be a blessing, and it certainly is, and that's what holiday we're going to be looking at from the book of Leviticus. From Leviticus chapter 23, we're going to hone in on Sukkot, tabernacles. Jesus himself not only celebrated Passover, which a lot of us know, even some of us know that because of visiting Jews for Jesus missionaries coming through your doors, but he also celebrated tabernacles or Sukkot, and he applied much of its meaning to his own ministry as well. Today I'm pinch hitting for Rich Robinson, who has been to this church before, and Rich's dad died on uh, Monday uh, and uh, at age 96 and had a military burial not far from here in Dixon, Illinois. And uh, Rich is kind of like a, a family member. We see him every Thanksgiving and Christmas. He's, he's with us as well. Uh, a word about holidays. Not everything significant that ever happened in world history or American history occurred on a Monday. Did you know that? Sometimes we move things. But what are holidays really when we break it down? They're holy days. And holidays are supposed to get us to stop what we're doing and they interrupt us to get us to stop and look and listen and reconsider and so I'm I got my special folding James Bond glasses here because I left my regular ones at home it's okay my last name is Bond and my cell phone ends with 007 <laughs> I'm qualified to do this and in Leviticus chapter 23 not a, this this chapter uh, let's go ahead and advance the slides and look at um, the, uh, yeah, that's good, the, the, the whole uh, overview of the holidays. Now, in the springtime, we have Passover and unleavened bread, and we have first fruits, and they remind us thematically of the Lamb of God, Jesus, who was slain, of our own uh, sanctification process as we haven't come into our final home yet and we're still in these earthly bodies, and how uh, Jesus himself is called the first fruits among those who slept in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then, kind of second wave in the early summer, we have the Feast of Weeks, which is Shavuot or Pentecost, as we would say it in Greek. And then by the time we get to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 23, we start a rapid fire succession on the first day of the seventh month, on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the 15th day of the seventh month, we have these last three holidays, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Let's advance to the next slide and see that our calendar doesn't exactly work. Now that looks like some kind of a cosmic cultic thing going on there, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> our months are in the middle 
And hey, aren't those months given to us by Romans who were throwing us to the lions? Yeah, okay. But they do a very good job of tracing the Earth's journey around the sun in 365 days. And outlying that are the more lunar months. The people of the Middle East... They don't uh, have cloudy skies like we had in Skokie, Illinois. Skokie, Illinois, and the whole of Chicagoland, you can't just look up at the sky necessarily and discern what is the phase of the moon. You know, Chicago, I don't know if anyone told you this or not, it's a paved swamp, okay? And that's why it's always cloudy around there. But, uh, you know, in Israel and in California, you can look up at the sky and when the moon is full, it's the middle of a month, and when it goes away and comes back, it's the beginning of a month, a very user-friendly calendar. So when we read in the seventh month, Teshri, that's not July. That's going to be September or early October. It's the time of our autumn. It's the time of our harvest. Now I'm going to be looking at the text. We'll just stay on that slide for the moment. Chapter 23. Verse 23 of Leviticus, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say, uh, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month is the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. Almost like Passover and unleavened bread, when you add them together, you get eight days. On the first day, as a holy convocation, you shall... Uh, do no manner of servile work. Seven days you shall bring an offering made by fire to the Lord. And on the eighth day, hey, wait a minute, Moses, I thought it was seven days. And on the eighth day shall be a separate holy convocation unto you. You shall bring an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a day of solemn assembly. Ye shall do no manner of servile work. And then a summary statement. When we get to heaven, we can ask Moses, why did you write it this way? It's, we like chronological stuff. We're from the West. Well, he's from the Middle East, isn't he? These are the appointed seasons of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to um, be holy convocations. He's talking about all seven of the feasts of the Lord in this whole chapter. They didn't just occur, you know, years apart. They got all their rhythm of holidays at one time. Uh, And the only things that have been added that are biblical are the Feast of Esther, you know, Purim, and also Hanukkah, which came 165 years before Jesus was walking the shores of Galilee and the streets of Jerusalem. And I'm still in um, 37. To bring an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering, and a meal offering, a sacrifice, a drink offering. Now, Drink offerings or water libations, they're called sometimes. That's going to be important later on. Each in its own day, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vows, besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. And now he goes back in verse 39 into some detail. How be it, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered the fruits of the land, what are the fruits of the land in Israel? Well, it's not all about pumpkins and apples. We are not in Michigan. If you go down to Fresno, where my daughter and son-in-law live, we know it's about figs and raisins, don't we? But in Israel, the grapes, the pomegranates, 
uh, in Israel, the olives. In Israel, the dates of the date palm. It's not a barley harvest of the spring. It's not the wheat harvest of Pentecost. It is the fruit harvest at the end of the cycle here. Ye shall keep the feast to the Lord for seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest. On the eighth day, a solemn rest. And ye shall take... Um, you on the first day, the fruit of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of thick trees, willows of the brook, palm, myrtle, willow, those three species uh, together, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Well, this is getting a little less solemn. You're going to rejoice, listen to this, and you shall keep uh, it uh, a feast unto the Lord for seven days. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall keep it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are homeborn in Israel shall dwell in booths that your generations may know. I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In our next slide, let's go ahead and take a look at a couple of crowns. Jesus, of course, uh, these feasts line up like the life and times of Jesus, the themes of the spring feast. And we're not really forcing this issue to try to make a neat little scheme. Remind us of a suffering servant Messiah, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, of a Passover lamb, of Jesus rising from the dead on the third day. That's like our first fruits. Paul says this to the Corinthians in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Wherefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus is a chance to start over afresh, to break that sin cycle that connects us down to our first forefather, Adam. Later in the same epistle, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20, that Paul says that Jesus, Messiah, is the first fruits among those that slept. If we're trusting in him and him only for our salvation, then our destiny will be like his. Death will have lost its sting. We can be resurrected with him and to new life. And here in the middle of the year, you know, we have this giving of the Holy Spirit, which equips us so that we might succeed. Even if we're losers, we can become winners with God's Holy Spirit in the same areas where we used to be losers. That's what happened to the Apostle Peter. He was warming his hands by the fire. The servant girl said, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? He denied the Lord. But later on in Acts chapter 2, the giving of the Holy Spirit in Chapter 3 and 4, where they're drugged before the Jerusalem council, what does he do? He says, you decide whether I should listen to you or I should listen to the Lord. Why are we having this conversation? There's no other name uh, by which you must be saved. And he is bold where he used to be afraid, isn't he? And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And now we're looking at the end of times. I don't know what your particular end times theological scheme is here. It's not a cause for us to break fellowship with one another. But we do have a hope to look forward to, that things are not going to be just like they are right now 
on this planet Earth, that God will step into human history. There is a trumpet sound that blasts and wakes us up, and the Lord himself descends with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ rise first, and together we're caught up together to be with him. And then we have also uh, a day of, of judgment, don't we? And that's kind of the solemnity of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And now we're on the brink of Sukkot, which kind of reminds us this is our tent. Our life here on this earth is like a tent compared to the place that the Lord is preparing for us to go. So first things first, the suffering servant. Then we'll see the reigning king who will rule with justice and and. And with peace. And so let's move the slide on and let's go ahead and skip this one and move another one. We'll come back to this. These temporary booths are around Israel. Let's just look at a few of them. Go ahead and and, uh, advance the slide one more time. Sometimes they're on the flat rooftops of Jerusalem. These are Orthodox Jews. They don't make up the majority. In Israel, you're either Orthodox or you're secular. There's no such thing as conservative and reform. Let's have another slide. And then around the back of a church or a synagogue in the U.S., we might find a temporary shelter. If the weather permits, you're supposed to live in it, but people who live in uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota, they'll go out and take a meal in there, you know, and, and come back in. Let's keep going with the slide, please. And there's the interior of how one might look. They're all quite different. Uh, uh, let's see. Do we have more slides? Yes, let's go. keep on going. Uh, there's one with actual people in it, but look at that pumpkin and corn stalk. That's kind of Midwest, okay? <laughs> that's, not, that's not Israel. Israel has a similar climate. It's called, a, 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 you know, to, to, to California. California, it's said, has a Mediterranean climate. Isn't that interesting? We, uh, in, in Indiana, the uh, grass is green in the summer, and it's dead in the winter. Isn't that weird? They just don't understand. But you guys are in California. You understand what Israel is going through, what her seasons are. It's rainy, not snowy. It's, it's rainy in the winter. Let's go ahead and advance the slide again. And I don't know. There's a pumpkin again. One more. This is uh, kind of condensed. I think our computer didn't do it quite as you know, nicely as we want it. It looks a little squashed, doesn't it? But it's a braided palm branch in the middle. And the willow branches uh, look, remind us of the shape of the human eye. The bound up palm like the backbone of people. And then the, um, the willow branches, not the myrtle, look more like the human lip. And so we're to praise the Lord. We're to enjoy his creation and read his word. We're to serve one another. And then that citron, that etrog there, reminds us of the shape of the human heart. Let's move another slide and we'll see that uh, Jewish people bind these things together and they do their wave offering to the Lord. And now I want to backtrack to the Feast of Tabernacles to about slide number five. Sorry to do this to you guys, but on slide number five, which is a kind of a turquoise, there, that's perfect. Okay, this um, has a couple of hints to it right there. Look at the picture of the menorah. That reminds us that there is an illumination of the temple uh, service that used to happen in the day of Jesus and before, back to the time of Moses and the tabernacle until 70 
A.D. when the temple was destroyed. And on the lower uh, right we have water. There was a drink offering, as we said. There was a water libation. Let's move from Leviticus 23 to the Gospel of John, our fourth gospel. It's the only other place we'll have you turn today. John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, a couple of things about John while you're turning. John can't get a job at the San Francisco Chronicle as a reporter. John is all over the editorial page, okay? And that's okay. John, you could say, is a propagandist, but his propaganda is persuasive speech. It's not lies or falsehoods. He has an agenda. It's not even hidden. Late in the Gospel of John, he says that he wrote these things that sh- for the purpose that you might believe, that you might believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. But hey, our worship team already told us that this morning, didn't they? And, uh, and John does another thing. He always sets the stage. He tells you what time of year it is in his gospel. John chapter 7, in verse 2. Now the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. No one who wants to be well-known or a public figure does anything in secret. You can, you know, John is showing us that they were having an argument, a family argument. Yes, Jesus did have brothers, uh, contrary to some of the things you might hear in other religions. And uh, his brothers actually... If we go on, we find that they're thinking like worldlings. You ought to go down and shake some hands, kiss some babies. It would be really great for your act. If you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his own brothers were trusting in him or believing in him. Big word in John belief. Now, wait a minute. After the resurrection, Jude and James were willing to die for their faith and they were quite convinced but at this time they're thinking like worldlings and he says because by the way Jesus kept the law of God and often broke the traditions of man Jesus kept the law of God in spirit and truth and broke the traditions of man he's going to go ahead and go down to the feast but not in a splashy way with his entourage he slips in there because it's not the day of the feast yet and we I'm going to give you one other bookmark. You don't have to turn here, but John always tells us what time of year it is, doesn't he? In John chapter 10, verse 22, we find another landmark. Now, it was winter, and it was the festival of dedication. Hey, how do you say dedication in Hebrew? Oh, it's the word Hanukkah. You heard of that one, haven't you? So Jesus at the festival of Hanukkah is walking on Solomon's portico and there he gets into an argument. If you're the one that we're waiting for, why don't you just show us? And Jesus says, which one of my works, my miracles did you miss? Now I've said that John chapter 7 is just a little bit before Sukkot. It's probably the very first days of October. And John 10:22 is December 25 Kislev, close to our own Christmas time. I gave you these bookmarks for a reason, because we're going to talk about the illumination of the temple, and we're going to talk about the water libation. First, the illumination of the temple. During the time of Sukkot or Tabernacles, you can go 
and check with the Roman and Jewish historian Josephus, who says that the light from these menorah lampstands, like the one in the corner of our slide, was so great, there were one at each one of the four corners of the temple square. They were something like 30 cubits high. Youth would go up on ladders, not us old guys. I just turned 62 on Friday. And they would carry entire pails of olive oil. They were not candelabras, okay? They burned olive oil like that Olympic torch, you know, that people run with and light the, the oil that's up in the top of that. And that the light was so great that it lit up all of the rooftops and the, and the porches of Jerusalem in those days. You hadn't seen a human-made light that was that strong. And no one who, um, people who have never seen Sukkot or tabernacles have never seen rejoicing is what this historian writes. I'm telling you this for a reason. I'm telling you, what's today's date? Are we at November, what, 15 or something like that, 16? It's this time of year in John chapter 8 and John chapter 9 between the fall feast you know the harvest feast and between Hanukkah that Jesus said I am the light of the world one of them is in John chapter 8 verse 12 the other is in John chapter 9 really early I think it's verse 3 or 4 and he says twice that he's the light of the world and there's two different applications one is I am the light of the world he who believes Thank you, John, for emphasizing that word one more time as the author. He who believes in me would not stumble or grope in darkness, but he would have the light of life. Jesus is the co-creator of the universe with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Some of you don't know if that comes from Isaiah chapter 9 or if that comes from the Charlie Brown Christmas special through the voice of Linus, but he's telling Charlie Brown the reason that he's not having a good Christmas season because he forgot the whole, you know, original meaning of it. But unto us, the son is given. Unto us, uh, you know, a child is born and the government will be upon his shoulder, that God will step into human history. I brought with me... Um, a couple of brochures. I forgot my handy-dandy sign-up cards, but there's a couple of ways that you can be involved. But one of them is the publication called Issues with eight pages. That's right. Alan Bond came and said, I have issues. Okay, But uh, inside, this is written actually in response to the Charlie Hebdo attacks that happened a while back. And it's, we, no one knew, you know, what was going to happen this weekend, you know, in Paris again. It does talk about our Paris branch and it talks uh, a message from our European director and from our Paris director. I want you to, to pick that up. It talks about the anti-Semitism and the roots of it and gives us a biblical perspective and a biblical answer to that. The other place that Jesus says, I am the light of the world, is in chapter 9, where they meet a man who is born blind. Now, when Jesus heals a man who's born blind, this is a miracle that the Jewish people of his day believed was reserved for the Messiah. You'll even find this later in John chapter 9, around verse uh, 
25, 28, it says, For since the beginning of the world, no one has ever heard of a man born blind being healed. They'd seen other people who had temporarily lost their eyesight being healed. This is a miracle or a work, as John would call it, reserved for the Messiah. And Jesus says, while I, you know, the disciples first ask, why is this guy like this? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus says it's so that God might be glorified. And he is glorified through Jesus healing him. And he says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. The night is coming when no one can work. So we think about a couple of things. Jesus is the light of the world to give us direction and to give us hope and purpose and to rescue us. But he's also the light of the world in the sense that we witness, that we tell uh, our stories along with his scripture. We tell his stories and that there's a time coming on this earth when we can't do that anymore. It's game over, man. And so that's the light of the world. Let's look at John seven thirty-seven. We're fast-forwarding through the feast and we find that in verse 37 uh, that we are at the crux of uh, the last day. On the last and greatest day of the feast, that's the other holy convocation, that's day number eight, when there is a water libation. Yeshua stood and cried out loudly, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If we did a water libation today, here's how it would go. It's during the service. You take an empty pitcher of water. And I guess, you know, maybe David was our worship leader. He would be kind of taking the role of the high priest. And then he would go down and leave the sanctuary, followed by the Levites. These are the Levites over here, the guys that were, and gals that were playing over here, followed by the rest of the congregation. We would go out to a source of running water or, quote, living water, a fresh flowing stream. We would draw uh, maybe the brook Kidron. We would draw the water. We would come back. And you guys, you made such a modern sanctuary. Where are the steps of the temple? We're supposed to do a song of ascent on each one of the steps with the Levites. And those are in our psalms, actually, in the 120s, you know, in our Bible uh, of psalms. And Well, we could use these steps, couldn't we, right here. And as we ascend, we come to the altar Hmm, okay, this is a little more pulpit-centered. That's another good biblical thing. Nehemiah built a wooden podium and began to expound on the meaning of the Scripture besides leaving the Scripture. And you pour out the water at the base of the altar and you pray for the latter rains to come. Latter rains, doesn't that, isn't that the name of a kooky church on a highway somewhere? No, it's a very good biblical term, the former rains and the latter rains. You know, Israel's in the northern hemisphere just like us. And if you're going to have good crops, you're not going to harvest them in January and February. That's kind of dark and 
cool, you know, and, and rainy. But you're going to count on those two or three inches that come in the spring and the fall, not the seven inches per month of the winter or the zero zip nada inches that come June, July, August. It's the former rains and the latter rains. So this is a prayer for blessing and for times of refreshment. And in our Bibles, Jesus says, I'm the one you're looking for. I am the living water. And uh, John, our editorial guy, explains it, doesn't he? He says he spoke this referring to the Holy Spirit, uh, which was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is the light of the world and the living water. I, uh, I pray that as, as we go about our business, uh, that we might find ways to tell that to people at the grocery store and at the gas station. Jews for Jesus does it on college campuses, on city streets, and even where people commute at ball games. I think there's a, a little sporting event that might occur down in Santa Clara in February. We plan to be there as well. I can't say the name of it. You get sued. Anyway, um, I would encourage you in, in the absence of my um, uh, sign-up cards and so forth, why don't you just at the literature table pick up this uh, brochure about the iPod guy because on the back there's uh, not only our emails but our website and that's an easy way. Or if you're a little bit younger, I got a QR code on the back of this evangelistic postcard. It talks about who's your hero and we have all these Marvel and DC superheroes on the front and then on the back it says... Um, this Jewish uh, superhero's name is Jesus, you know, the one who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. These are the things I put out on Davis and Sacramento and San Jose where we go. So you can hit that QR code and join us in the adventure of Jews for Jesus. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you that we haven't followed cunningly devised fairy tales when you've made known to us uh, your power and your coming. Through this feast, we resonate with Israel and realize this is not our final home, but you redeem the time. There are things we can do right now to invest in things that will burn up or we can invest in things that don't. Help us to be about your business. Thank you for covering our bases so well that we might be able to turn our focus out, that we might be able to help others. Thank you for your goodness to us and for your faithfulness. We pray in Yeshua Jesus. Amen.